All right. Well, this was a podcast that had to happen. We had to get this no matter what. And it was within our means. We could have gotten this. Well, it's within your means, my friend. I, I, uh, I hooked my, like the little prince, I caught the star known as Danko Jones and sailed away to, the, to this interview. <laughs> uh, and that voice is Damien Abraham. And it was me and Damien doing, in Australia for the Soundwave Festival. And my band was playing with... Duff McKagan's Loaded. That's right. Featuring... Thanks. Slash. No, just kidding. Duff McKay. <laughs> well, a nice bunch of guys. Uh, great great dudes. Like yeah. the whole band is Jeff super, Rouse, yeah. Mike Squires, and uh, Burke. I can't remember his last I'm name. I'm trying to remember Burke's last name. Yeah. But um, a really bu- nice bunch of guys. And really backing, arguably, not even arguably, the nicest guy in rock and roll. Yeah. Like, I would say, given his position in music and given the band he was in, he is, you know defies all expectations you would have about what he would be like yeah. to talk to. I had like visions of the American Music Awards playing in my head <laughs> like thanks to the fucking yeah, award. Yeah, I remember like, that. Yeah, and I was like and then like what's he going to be like? But he is just like an awesome dude. And like if you read his book, which is a great book, it's so worth, easy. worth picking up. Yeah. Uh it comes across uh that he seems like a really good guy in that book and then meeting him in person it's like, "Oh, that's not that's a, not too far off. Not from too the, far at all. In fact, it's exactly how once you finish reading the book, you picture him in your head. Yeah, exactly. Like, he comes off... The, the person you read is the person you meet. Yeah, and I believe... Well, he's a writer. He writes for Seattle Weekly mm-hmm. and various other pl- things, and I've seen him on his laptop writing and getting... You know, he's very approachable on this whole tour. We spent two weeks with him, and uh, I don't think he wrote with a ghostwriter at all. It's no. so easy. No, it I was him. Yeah, and it, and it really... It does sound like his voice in that book, yeah. and, and, and when you talk to him, it definitely sounds like... His voice and and yeah, like he, it was just uh, first day. The first time I met him on the tour uh, was I saw I was walking down the hallway where all the dressing rooms were on that first stop, where all the trailers were. I saw his door open like a crack, and I looked in. I could see him sitting there. And I, last time we did this tour, because this is our second Soundwave. You're a Soundwave virgin, but I'm a veteran. Yeah. Been around the block a little bit with a Soundwave. <laughs> and anyway, last time we were there, I really wanted to meet the singer of Monster Magnet because he played in this old hardcore band, Shrapnel, power pop band, Shrapnel. And uh, so I, I met him, but I only met him once, and I got to talk to him about it. So I saw Duff, and I'm like, this might be my shot. So I went in there and just just talked to him. Uh, you know, and it, he was so nice and so friendly. And he mentioned, yeah, I might be doing a, that podcast with Danko. And I'm like, I might be sitting in out. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I mean, I've met Duff, I think, three times before this sound wave started in various places all over the world, actually. And uh, every single time, very approachable. <laughs> and you don't, you, you, you know, Guns N' Roses comes with so much, like such a loaded baggage. image. Baggage. It's a yeah. baggage. Uh, you really don't know like what you're going to get. But, you know, reading It's So Easy, and I really recommend it out of all the books, which is a, a recent trend um, amongst, you know, 80s and 90s rock mm-hmm. heroes and gods. Um, I found his to be probably the best. I think it's the most grounded in reality. Yeah, because I loved, like, a lot of them go, yeah, I'm, I, I was really, I hit rock bottom, and then I got back up. But they're just like a older version of how the they same. were before. They <laughs> the really, exact same guy. But there is really a, a, a real kind of climbing the mountain, a 90-degree turn that he did with his life that is like, it almost reads like a third act of a movie. It would almost seems like he's he was on this trajectory and then Guns N' Roses happened and he had like some wilderness years, like what, 15, 10, yeah. 10, 10 15 wilderness years of, of, you know, serious drugs and alcohol, um, serious alcohol mainly, but... Uh, but yeah, he merges as this like you know totally different person and 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 much better person from the sounds of it. And uh, you know, just going through these uh, flights with him and everything, you know, he is he has the respect and the ear and the attention <coughs> of not just like fans or people like every Everyone. band, every band, yeah. every band on this tour. He has everyone, and he's so grounded and and. Gracious, and I think we're like fawning over him. Yeah, well, I think we kind of are because, and we're gonna, everyone's gonna well, hear us. There are a lot of rock stars on this trip, like a lot of big name rock stars on yeah. this trip. And out of all the big name rock stars, he's definitely probably sold right up there with the most records, and he's the he's always around. 
And you always can talk to him. And he is on our stage. We all share the mm-hmm. same stage. Fucked up, Danko Jones, Duff McKagan. Sword, Red Fang, Oh Brother. Fozzie. Fozzie, The Cerebral Deer Fozzie. Hunter. No, Deer Hunter, I don't, they were on our stage for one night, but I don't think they still are. Yeah, they were on yesterday. They, they were on yesterday. Okay, yeah, so yeah. The Deer Hunter. You guys came late. Yeah, well, because we didn't land till late. We've yeah. been. We've had the best schedule. We have, like, every day we're, like, in... Like everywhere we're we're in till like the middle afternoon, they're like, "Hey, time to get your flight." We fly somewhere, you know. We're you know got days off on the beach. Very we, chill. We lucked out. Everyone's got different schedules. We should say on this trip. Yeah. So, um, but uh, so he's on our stage, stage five, and I just realized, like, out of everybody on Soundwave besides Metallica, Duff McKagan is the only person in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he is the first person on this podcast who is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So this is a very, very special podcast. But he's not the first person who's been in the Who's Emma Hall of Fame, because both Nick Flanagan and I are in the Who's Emma Hall of Fame. This is true. No, I'm just kidding. And <laughs> Flanagan, again, is not here, and you have kind of taken his post. Yeah, I've, I've grown up my hair a little bit, uh, wearing episode. glasses. So don't worry, Nick. Yeah, don't Jesus. worry, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nick, guess what? I got to interview Duff. Go back to interviewing whoever you're going to interview from the CBC, Jobber. (laughs) Um, You got to leave that in. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, uh, Once again, like the Jericho podcast, we have to really kind of let everybody know that the audio isn't as clear as this because we were playing. We we got Duff. before we should, the say, show. We should say how we had we had two attempts to get Duff, and you'll hear that in this. But the first one, these are the sidewave shows that it was us and Duff's. Yeah, uh, Dango Jones and Duff McKagan loaded played our own shows together from the festival, and Damien was uh, it was awesome to hang out with you for the whole time. Oh, super there, fun! It was day. if it wasn't like you know because it was a really it was an awkward situation trying to get him because like we're both sitting here like. Journalist from a high school radio oh, station I with a microphone and, the computer, and we're like waiting for him and he's very you know everyone wants a piece of him at a show like of this course. you know and, and he's getting a massage and then you know and it's I, we should say that everybody could get yeah, a everyone's massage. getting a massage yeah, it wasn't yeah. like his masseuse was no, there, no, but no no there was like a massage table and so people took advantage of it I don't take advantage because I got a hair everywhere it just feels like someone pulling my hair yeah you got that you got a hang up about that I got right? a weird thing about it so I don't get massages but some people did did you get one massage. I always get a massage, but not on this tour. You didn't get any on tour? Well, I've been slammed with all yeah. this podcasting. That's so true. I haven't, yeah, which is one of the reasons why we were really, well, this podcast is in two parts. Yeah, it had to be in two parts because we got them for 15 minutes the first go around before you were, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, it's all on tape, and we've just decided to leave it all in there so everybody knows exactly the circumstances and the environment that we were left up to to, to grab probably the biggest person that's been on this podcast yeah and we're left to the fates of uh, a club show and certainly the, certainly the person that's had you know our the biggest impact on both of our lives musically like you know and I, I you know not that other people haven't had impacts but you know here's someone that like guns and roses you know whether you're reacting against them or reacting to them you're still reacting and I got to say, when you listen to this podcast, Damien Abraham manages to make <laughs> Guns N' Roses sound like Duff McKagan's side project. And you just go right into, well, you're going to hear it all. But um, I, I enjoyed it. I actually, it was, a, it, for everybody out there who's, who fancies themselves a Guns N' Roses fan, it is a little bit of a, a music lesson, courtesy of Damien Abraham. And I, I was watching Duff's face while you were just like shooting all these names out at him and uh he was very impressed well, I think the, I think the funny, and very surprised well, uh, thank you but i think the funny thing about these guys is they don't realize the impact these other bands they had have had you know like i think they you know because they, they kind of became bigger than that you know and i don't you know i'm not blaming them for that guns and roses is huge you know and, and have influenced millions and millions and millions of people but the fact is the farts the fastbacks the silly killers the living like uh uh, uh, the Banes, uh, Ten Minute Warning, all those bands have inter- in- influenced you know thousands of people, but those thousands of people have also influenced thousands of people. And it's like, yeah, I met a dude who has a farts back piece. I'm like, I gotta show Duff McKagan that because it, he doesn't believe that people like the band that much, right. you know. And and I think it's, you know, it's always fun when you get to meet these people and you're like, yo, what about this band? And they're like, 
really? You like that? I was 15. And it's like, yeah, but that's so perfect. Like you made something so perfect at 15 that it still resonates today. I did that. I, I, and I, yesterday that ha- I had a moment like that and I called it, I pulled a Damien Abraham. Um, so we were hanging out. This is, a, this is not, not, nothing to do with Duff McKagan podcast, which is you were about to listen to, but I, I just, this, you know what? I love these intros when you listen to a podcast. I love, I love when, you know, like a super huge tangent like that to, I'm about it's like to, going to go to the movie and get a trailer. You know, the trailer is part of the best fucking part of going to the movie. You miss the trailer. Is. Don't even go to the movie. Yeah. Don't just sit home. You legally downloaded that. <laughs> um, so we were all hanging out and it was the end of the day and everybody was going to head off to the airport and all the bands were going to fly to Perth and we were sitting down and there's this guy and he's very low-key. He's just got a T-shirt on, jeans, and he's got a ponytail. And I'm staring at him. I'm staring at him like, I know who this guy is. I just can't focus in enough, concentrate, and make that recognition. Yeah. And then I did, and it was Eric Singer from Kiss. Oh, really? Yeah, he was just there. He was just <laughs> standing there and because uh, Kiss are about to play Australia next yeah, week with Molly week. Crew. Yeah. So I guess they're here early for rehearsals, et cetera. And... I, because everybody knows I'm the biggest Kiss fan, and when I, I everything f- came into focus and I stayed on target, and I'm s- supposed to destroy the Death Star, I just go, "Oh my God, that's Eric Singer from Kiss!" And I walked up and I walked straight, and as I was going, I realized uh, earlier that day during the during our show, there was a guy with a Badlands T-shirt, and I pointed him out. Badlands was Eric's old band, oh. even before. Pre pre kiss, so I pulled I pulled it, and then I came back and I hit it off with him with the Badlands. I shot the I threw him the Badlands thing. I threw him I threw him a bunch of other things, and and then I just walked back to our group and I go, I just I think I just pulled a Damien. It worked, man. I got I got Eric's undivided you know attention. Because like then you also would, like you know I'm not saying that you should do this because it's a way to get in with these people or anything like that, but also you figure these people talk about their like he talks about kiss yeah ninety nine percent of the time you know like. When we went on tour with the Foo Fighters, like talking to Nate, like he, I, I brought a brotherhood. He's like, no one has ever brought up that band to me ever, and it's like no one brings up these old bands to these people, and like that is like a place of innocence and a place of fun for them and music discovery. Like that's you know, nine most of the time when the people are talking about that music period, that's when they got into the music. That's when they're most excited about it. And so, yeah, getting to talk to them about it, and 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 it's also being from punk and hardcore being from like old metal like you know you and i are in our respective ways it's like you get those ins with these people because you're from like you're like you know and this sounds really horrible to say it but i'm gonna fucking say it because that's how i feel but like it shows that like i'm not like these other people <laughs> i'm down i'm down and like yeah you can go too far and nerd the person out and they can be sick of you really quickly but you know at least you have that moment to show them that you're down <laughs> Well, if you're going to do it to somebody who will understand where you're coming from, I think Duff McKagan is the perfect person to lay it, that, all that yeah. stuff on. And, and uh, I think he's quite amused. I was worried I was going to start crying. Your <laughs> 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 music meant so much to me. <laughs> well, here it is. This is Duff McKagan. Part one. Part one. And then you'll hear why there had to be a part two. But part two is included in this episode. And it's uh, me and Damien Abraham and Duff McKagan. On the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. And with that intro, um, (laughs) we have on the podcast uh, Mr. Duff McKagan from Loaded. Velvet Revolver, and of course Guns N' Roses. You want me to drop the signs now, buddy? Well, it, it, I, and I, the fastbacks, and the farts, and the silly killers, and ten minute warning. That's why I brought yeah, yeah. Damien Abraham here is taking over from Nick Flanagan for uh, the Soundwave podcast, and uh, we're playing a show with Loaded today. So the end. Well, we've been playing together, our three bands, one after the other, for Soundwave, um, and uh, we asked Duff. And I asked you, Damien, and Duff's here, and I'm really fucking happy that you're here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. good. We're about to go on stage, too, so it's yeah. like... Right. I'm, uh, I'm doing five things at once, and right. I'm, I'm happy to do all of them. Yeah. So, uh, 
We read your book and stuff. Yeah, we both read and your we've book. We listened to your records and shit. All right. Yeah, it's like it's one of those weird things where getting to talk to you, it's like very rarely are you given the you know like as as fans of your bands and stuff like you're very rarely given the opportunity to kind of say like thank you because like I don't know what I'd be into if it wasn't for the music you made you know like I don't know where I would have gone and I really am appreciative because I have a really easy job now because I play in a band so you know yeah Uh, that sound that sound you guys hear right now yeah just stop talking that's the sound of freedom that's the coffee being made that, that's that's oh, coffee that's being ground. Oh, okay. That's the sound of America right That there. is the sound of America. That's the... Well, actually, I, I hear isn't coffee better here than in America, I hear? Oh, you're from Seattle, though. That's like a matter of... That's fighting words there, right? Kind of is. Okay, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't drink it. Never got into it. Yeah, but we're like... We're raised like our, our, our mother's breast milk has... has Espresso. Espresso. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, you come by it naturally and stuff. Yeah, so. absolutely. So all that, that punk rock scene in Seattle. Oh, it's coffee you know, culture. You, well, you know, like every you were saying, you and I were talking the other day that like every other every band in 79, 80, 81, 82, the early 80s in Seattle were also different. We were just all caffeinated. We couldn't concentrate <laughs> on one thing like they could in Washington, D.C., and and focus on yeah. Well, I guess Black Flag, you know, it 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 it's you know Rollins, it's Black Coffee. It's like a, it's a real Descendants have the song uh, Coffee Mug, you know. There, there's a, a real kind of current in, uh, you know, you need to be caffeinated if you're doing it all yourself. You know, you can't really yes. afford to do it all yourself when you're. Well, that being said, there's not punks getting wasted too. I was gonna say, see, that's why everyone just drinks coffee. But no, there's people that do other things. Yeah, there's too. a lot of other things going around. Um, but like, uh, you know, not to dominate no, conversation Dane, but Dane, that's why I brought you on here man in, for some punk rock cred with Duff in man. the book you talk about like the incident where you guys got in that, that scrap with Nirvana backstage of the MTV Awards mm-hmm. and then you talk about like Kim from the Fastbacks calling you the next day and kind of reaming you out yeah. and I think that's like a, a really interesting thing that like you're like the two biggest bands of the era coming from the same point you know like you guys are from the exact same scene and you know and it's like as a as a kid growing up, I never liked any glam or metal stuff yeah. except GNR, and it was always like, why do I like it? Because it's like Guns N' Roses was a punk band at the end of the day, you know, yeah. like kind of continuing that. Was that like something you thought at the time, or were you like, were you like, I don't feel part of that scene at all anymore? Um, well, I mean, to go back to like the beginning of Guns, um, when I moved to LA from Seattle, it was '84. Um, a bunch of drugs have just come into Seattle. They'd come in like two years mm-hmm. prior, like 82, and um, there was a recession going on, and um, there was no places to play in Seattle anymore, and it was I was 19, it was like either time to go somewhere. Yeah, because you moved just before that whole like sub-pop uh, kind of noise rock type thing, the 88, thing, right? That kind of gets going? Well, the interesting thing is Bruce Pavitt and I worked at the same restaurant. So oh, really? As, as I was... Um, yeah, we were working the kitchen oh. together. So he had just put out his first sub pop single, and I left. But uh, was that like Green River or is that Tad? What was the first single? I think it's Green River. I want to say it was like something like Section Eight. Oh, you know what? No, it was a comp. Didn't he do the Sub Pop 100 comp? Because he was doing those tape comps before that. And I think the first album they did was Sub Pop 100. We'll have to get back. We'll have to, no, yeah. it was a single. It was a single, okay. We'll, we'll have to nerd out. It was his first piece of vinyl, because he was doing those, those cassettes. Yeah, 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 for years, like the yeah. underground, Sub Pop underground compilations or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, to me, moving to L.A. and uh, Guns starting, I mean, it was really 84, if you were in that sort of wave of punk rock that I was got to be a part of, um, wasn't really the first wave. It wasn't the English or the, the Ramones. No, wave, but that's but the wave where it gets interesting. That's the wave yeah. where people act. The kids are actually doing it themselves. We it's interpreted. Like, it yeah, exactly. The Damned and the Pistols and Things, uh, uh, Richard Hell and and into something else. Mm-hmm. And then Black Flag was going to we, we had DOA and uh, the Germs, of course. I mean, that really changed. That was a game changer. Yeah. Um, that Joan Jett produced record was like the Sonic. Uh, you know, real drum, real guitar um, for, for an American band. Yeah. That was a big deal. Um, uh, but then, like, the also influences through, through Kim, through the Seattle, 
thing was different in that we didn't know any different. Like we weren't, we weren't biased against listening to Sweet and um, well, the Slade. Runaways probably and like, the Runaways. So you guys didn't have that, that whole because back in like the mid '80s, punk and metal or punk and rock and there is it's not people don't realize that the dividing lines that divided punk and other factions like metal and rock were very, very thick and, and, and strong. And I saw... I, they I see, were. Yeah. I see you as someone who were one of the first people who did the crossover thing. Being in Guns and having that punk rock background, people didn't realize, like, now, they don't realize how strong those dividing lines are. Yeah, did you think it was maybe because you didn't have to... You left before you had to pick a side. Before you um, had to be a metalhead or a punk, you could still be the, you know... No, I definitely went to gigs on the east side from Seattle. You yeah, the, the west side. side was the metal side or something? No, the east side. Oh, it was a metal so side? So I was okay. from Seattle proper, and um, so there wasn't really any metal. Um, Mike McCready had a yeah. band called Shadow, and but there, so it was still Mike was like, he hung out with punkers. He didn't really understand punk, but he had this band Shadow. So, But there was bands like Culprit and... Um, uh, There's like huge metal band from there too, like not... Virgin Killer or something like, but like one of the big Queensryche. Queensryche, that's what Virgin Killer from Queensryche. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I was grasping at metal straws. I like punk. <laughs> but the, like the farts played yeah, the show yeah. with. Oh, and like I guess the Accused and stuff were yeah. like kind of. They were the one of the first crossover bands too, yeah. right? Yeah, Accused were. Yeah, 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 totally. We went over to the East Side and played a show with a metal band, and we were the only punkers there. And it was one of those things where you know we were people want to kick our ass because we were punk rock faggots and all that stuff. Okay. But, so I, I, no, I totally experienced that, that divide. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really silly. And if you're from Seattle, you just thought the whole thing was silly because we loved AC. We loved good metal. Yeah. You know, whatever metal really was. Like Motorhead, ACDC, uh, like... Yeah, yeah. Tank. Tank, and, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Venom. Girl School and... Uh, like New Wave, Judas Priest, New Wave of British heavy metal stuff. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But right. did you feel any time when you're in like Guns and stuff that you had to like kind of wear that punk rock banner on your sleeve a little bit just to a remind some people who kind of because of those dividing lines? I, you know, when you're when you're young, um, so Guns started and and the first gigs that we played that we opened for the Dickies, Social Distortion, Texan Horseheads. Fear. How'd you go over at those shows? Because like, Great. yeah, because that's what I would have thought. Like at that LA seems like, you know, as much as there was probably a divide in LA. Was that, there that was... wasn't in that faded first tour that you talk about, where you play with the Fastbacks. Um, so just after that. Oh, okay. So the, we played with the Fastbacks. That was our first proper show right. up in Seattle. Yeah. We, we sucked. Um, but it was, it was a punk rock band. But it was again. It was, now it's '85. So punk rock back to if you come from where I come from it was it was over punk rock was dead the kids from the suburbs would come in shaved their heads were doing the Nazi thing hardcore they didn't know the spirit of punk rock was gone it was all beat the crap out of somebody there and they thought pogo dancing or slam dancing was fighting yeah so it was this whole turning where it got pretty ugly so did they have bands like what were the what was like that scenes like, not to talk shit, obviously, really but, like, know. I'm just wondering I, what they would... Were they, like, just, like, kids that would come up with the Circle Jerks came to town, like, the big kind of touring band? Because you hear those stories about the Circle Jerks, and, like, they would show up, and they'd have the people that would come just for them, and they would fuck everyone up. Yeah, that kind of stuff happened all the time. Yeah. Uh, um, and I stopped going to show. I'm like, this isn't what I... It's not what it's about. Um, so, you, 84, you were trying to, like... We were knew we were gonna be the next, whatever was gonna be the thing. It was kind of on our shoulders. Who knows what it was gonna be? Hanoi Rocks was like this punk yeah. band that played with the Damned and all. The well, they started. Briard was their first band. Fuck the Army is like the singer of uh, Hanoi Rocks' first band, and they did three amazing punk singles. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I got him here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, absolutely, that's what you're saying. Because I think punk is like one of those rare times where you have like a paradigm shift, a cultural shift where almost like everything that kind of comes out after that's cool has some sort of weird root to it yeah. in some way. Like all over the world, like be it Japan, like with Gizem and 
Gaza and or Black Flag, Black which Flag. was in this weird flux thing with, that Kira had just come in, and um, there was no real solid thing. Um, uh, Razzle, drummer from Hanoi, died. I had mm -hmm. tickets to that gig at the Palace thing. I was going with Slash. Our band had just started, and Hanoi was like, let's go. We got tickets, and uh, he died right before the oh, wow. gig at yeah. the Palace in the car crash. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So they were, that was it. And, um, but we weren't trying to be like Hanoi Rock. Yeah. not saying that, but that was kind of like, maybe that's the new energy of what the singer's like, cool guitar player plays like Thunders. Yeah. Um, kind of little Keith, and like these guys are weird and write great fucking songs. I mean, they wrote great songs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, like, unbelievable. How do these right? guys write songs like this? Well, you know, Michael Monroe's still going strong. He's going very strong. No. He's on tour, I think, with Slash right now. Is he? Yeah. No, Slash. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's the old, that's the old song. No, I'm, I'm friends with Dragon, so I'm on. Oh, Dragon's great. Uploads yeah. those photos of him hanging out with uh, Michael Monroe and all that stuff. So. Yeah, Michael's going very strong, right? Yeah. He's going, and I just saw him like two years ago, and he comes on stage like all the other guys are younger than him. He looks younger than them. He's just, just doing the high kicks like it's 1986 or something. He's insane. He's a, he's a freak of nature, that guy. Um, really is like you're right he has and more... the nicest guy too totally yeah I saw him I saw him at the whiskey last year and same thing like he climbed the pole up to the balcony yeah. like <laughs> you're hanging from one arm dude I know you're you're older than me you got to be <laughs> yeah, exactly. or something and uh, it doesn't matter that guy's just ageless and um but um we, we so played a skino with him and he came to the festival with a broken leg the cast was on his leg, and then when they went on stage, it was Hanoi Rocks. It wasn't his own solo. Oh thing. right. And he was climbing the scaffolding, and he ran through the crowd and everything with his broken leg. Yeah. And I was complaining that, you know, like I didn't, I didn't stretch my hand enough, and my hand was cramping when I was playing guitar that day. See, but that guy's real. Like you know, it's uh, it is real. It's not a put on. It's real. He's that guy. I mean. And he came from that school of, you know, Iggy and... Yeah, you know, it was a totally punk, is it? Yeah. All right. That's Can like, we go on? Yeah. Ten-minute warning. I feel... I feel Boom, you like that? I feel honored that we're doing a podcast ten minutes before you go on stage to play. Can, can we do this again, the next side wave? Like Let's do it again, the next side wave. And do part two? Yeah. Is I'm, that I'm, cool I'm, with you, I'm, I have a day off. Did we even cover anything? Here's well, I'm, 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 this is like, this is awesome for me. Because I'm, I'm, this is what I'm interested in, the transition, you know? punk rock nut with his, like all the fucking... <laughs> no, believe me, I got way more shit to get yeah, into. <laughs> okay. He's, he's telling me like, oh, I'm going to ask stuff this and that. Oh, we haven't even begun. Oh, no. my God. Oh, my God. Okay, part du. I heard coffee. Okay, part du. Yeah, so that had to end right away. Yep. Because I it. had to play. You had to go rock the house and and nail the park performing with Duff too. Yeah. I played after we did that like small little podcast, half a podcast with Duff, went on stage, played, got off stage, did the Jericho podcast. Oh, that's right, we that did everybody's the Jericho heard. Blog. Yeah. Sorry, and then that we do that right now. the thing is, and now you can hear you can hear um, on both sides of this podcast and the Jericho Co podcast. I'm I'm doing three things at once. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get into the show that I'm about to play or the song I'm about to sing with Duff. Uh, watch the sound waves on my laptop. Hold the mic properly, proper mic placement, and at the end. Try to engage myself with what you got going on with either Chris or Duff. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things going in my head, and I don't, I don't, I, I, I might sound very quiet, but that's only because I got three, four things going through my head. When also you were dealing with uh, a very loud, uh, uh, very uh, overzealous punk fan who was taking up a lot of time rambling on. But I, I don't, I didn't mind that. It was more the coffee machine and the uh, oh yeah reverberation from downstairs. So, uh, and plus the fact that well, I usually do a warm up, and for both times, 
uh, both sides of this podcast, I was unable to do a pod, uh, And you could hear it in my voice. My voice is shot to hell on these podcasts. I don't know if you can hear it now. I've been able to recover since then. But you can really hear it on the podcast. So I'm not trying to make any excuses. The excuse is in my voice. But I think that also reflects how honest these situations, these podcasts came out. And it's not like someone coming over your house. This is like in work. Everyone's yeah. at work doing their thing. And then also finding time to do a podcast. But the second time we sat down with Duff, which you're about to hear, uh, better circumstances. Yeah. More, we had more of his attention. Oh, absolutely. And uh, even though still not the best room to do a podcast. Well, you hear a lot of people come in <laughs> at various points. But what you, what's going on here? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. And one thing I'll say about Duff is he never broke focus on talking no. to us. He no. was like not interested in what these people were going to try and interrupt for. Oh man, he he rules. He rules. Rules. Super cool dude. And uh yeah, I definitely uh showed him that <laughs> there are a lot of people nerdy about his old bands. Here we go. So we're uh part two of the uh Duff McKagan podcast. We're here. The first one was in Sydney, the second part is in Melbourne. How you doing, Duff? Good. We, we magically just transported from Sydney to Melbourne. I need a break to charge my re- recharge my nerd battery. So we had to stop it last time so I can now get more nerdy facts for you. Yeah, I, we, we listened to the first part. And man, Damien, you came out of the gate with all I those... I just dropped some nerd stuff. But I feel bad because I'm embarrassed because I didn't bring up the veins. And there's a band from Toronto named after a vein song. The School Jerks. They're named after... Yep. I did not know that. No, it's crazy. It's like... And it, it's, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but like, you know, obviously you had an insane impact in the band, you know, the huge bands that you've been in, but it's like every single small band you were into has also had a massive impact. It's weird. It's it weird. Just the, I think it's, I, I mean, I appreciate that. I don't really, uh, now that you tell me there's a band called the School Jerks. <laughs> um, they will be stoked to hear you say that. But, you know, it, it was... Uh, I'm really just lucky to be kind of born the year I was born and uh, to have been in, you know, around a good punk rock scene when I was 13 and 14 Mm -hmm. and and a unique punk rock scene in Seattle and, and you know, listening to all the the music influences I had through Kim and Kurt from the Fastbacks and turning me on to whatever and, and being able to play like one of the first hardcore bands. Yeah. Before we even called it hardcore, I believe. <laughs> yeah, guess what? Hardcore eighty one DOA puts there. out. I was there. Oh, you read that show? I was there. Oh, that's that's unbelievable. Yeah. Like that's the titular hardcore record, right? So yeah, um, Canada. We're very. Uh, we know every single possible Canadian thing as you probably know from Canadians, and we definitely lay claim to that hardcore titular record, hardcore eighty one. Yeah, that was kind of the first time. Yeah, hardcore. Like, but it was. I mean, Canada, like, DOA hardcore was mm-hmm. an, a, a good hardcore. Yeah, you know? it was I mean, like, I was like a, this is, this is, uh, okay, you want to go with hardcore? You want to call it hardcore? You call it anything you want. You're <laughs> DOA. Uh, uh, but I used to go up to Vancouver. We, we would go up every weekend. You could drink, you know. We, oh, yeah, and back right. then, you get across the border. We were 16, 15, and we would forge, all you needed was a parent's note. So we would just forge a parent's mm-hmm. note, and that's all you needed. There's no, yeah. So there was like a super tight relationship between like the subhumans, DOA, and Pointed Sticks, and yeah, we would, Cooper, st- right? we would stay at the DOA house. Oh, really? Yeah, um, it was a house on Georgia, off Georgia Street. Because I know you eventually like Ron Reyes. You he's in the Road Crew for like he tries out for the Road Crew or something. Like uh, no, God, that's like a legendary. I think uh, maybe in your book or maybe in another interview. Did he? Tr- did he come down? Well, him and I were, were hanging out um, yeah. pretty tight that when I first moved to L.A. Did you know him? Because he lived in Vancouver for a long time, right? Like, did you know him in Vancouver back then? Well, the first gig I ever played was with the Veins, and we opened for Black Flag in Seattle when Ron was seen. So okay. it was 79. I think that's a tour when he leaves when they get to Vancouver, right? Maybe. And then they come back and Dez becomes the singer. There was some trouble. There, yeah. was, there was some trouble following Ron. And um, he, I think he just stayed in Vancouver. In Vancouver. I don't want to... No, no, no. Actually, yeah. yeah, I there was... So he stayed in Vancouver. So did you know him? You did you, you probably met him up in Vancouver, like having played with him and then hanging out with him in Vancouver. And so, Well, I, I met him when we opened for him in Seattle. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, him being up in uh, Vancouver, he lived with this guy, 
Dale, who had a record store in Vancouver, and they lived on Hastings. What record store was that? Was that uh, Zulu or something? No, uh, I I knew you were going to ask me that. It was a famous one. I I can never remember the name of it. Quintessence. Oh, Quintessence. Okay, who put out, like, you know, all the subhuman stuff, point and stick stuff, too. Um, Modernettes and whatnot. Yeah. So oh, Dale. Okay. And uh, Ron lived there, and Ron started like screen printing and stuff, and and we would stay there or the DOA house. So the uh, it's like one ten Hastings was their address. So uh, how I remember that, <laughs> no idea. We should go there now and see who's there now. Yeah. They just broke. Uh, DOA's retiring this year. This is like their last. I didn't get to see one of those gigs. I think yeah. they might still be doing another West Coast swing too. Um, in the near future so yeah I, mean, I saw them in Toronto on the last tour and stuff and it was like you know like here's a band that you know every band could, should kind of be grateful to like yeah. every because they kind of set up that tour route them and yeah. Black Flag and it's like how many people were there oh, it was actually pretty atta- pretty well attended I'm not going to pretend it was like no one there but I've seen right. definitely seen DOA shows that have been under attended to say the least but it's just you know it, it's, it's funny that you, we go through this indie rock boom and it all kind of comes back from to, DOA. From it DOA. really did. DOA was before. I mean, I saw. I really did, and I saw the phone list. No, they're the master list. <laughs> yeah, they had the master list of, of phone numbers to call of uh, clubs and every uh, clubs, quote unquote. Yeah. I'm <laughs> show spaces. Yeah, whether it's basements of houses yeah. or, or or clubs, there was you know, uh, um, and the crash pad, you know, uh, home numbers, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you would get like um, if you were booking a tour, and Des reminded me of this recently. Because remember, we used to get the credit card numbers for for phone for calling. I mean, you'd go to the payphone, you would use this stolen credit card number, number to put in, yeah. like a phone credit card. Yeah, number. yeah, yeah. Like I totally forgot about that. And you would call and you would book a tour. You, you know, it's crazy because like both Danko and I, I'm you know, I'm sure when you guys started, you had that list. I know with fucked up, we definitely had that list where we had a list of numbers and names for every city, mm-hmm. and you and you knew like, and someone would be like, "Hey, uh, I want to play this place. Do you have a number?" And you're like, "Yeah, this kid does shows." And JC had that. Yeah, list. Missoula. You know, and you're like, "Okay, well, let's call this kid yeah. and get a show there and stuff." And it's and it's funny because like that that ritual of getting those numbers, getting that list, you know, survived right up till you know. I guess the advent of the internet kind of made. You know, why would you need that list anymore? You just Google. I, right. I don't know anymore. I don't no. know. There was a there was a period of time where we just started going on tour, and you know, you know, it just takes over. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't really. When we first started out, it was like going to the club, meeting a band you really like, getting their phone number, going to their space. We did that with Ian Savonius and the makeup. Yeah. And then they brought us down to D.C. and then we brought them to Toronto. Bring Toronto. And, yeah. yeah. Then I met all these people from the D.C. scene and. It was going strong, and then I don't know. We just got hooked into the whole infrastructure that you know people like DOA already set up, and away we away we went. So that must have been like a huge mindfuck, though, to go from like that world to be you know was it like five years later, six years later, in Guns and like in the other side of touring, where like it freaks me out to sometimes be out of the little DIY world I'm in, and I'm only one step removed. But to go from like you know, collecting numbers, making sure you can get from city to city, to like obviously Guns did that too, but then to be in the biggest band in the world, like that must well, be Well, it took a while to be that, that yeah. big band. We, um, but I do remember the first time we got a, a tour bus, and it was the crew and the band, but we were on a tour bus. Tour and bus, we, yeah. we picked it up in Toronto. We went on <clears throat> our first tour, big tour, was opening for the Colt in 87. Oh, I remember that. Summer of 87, going mm-hmm. across Canada, starting Nova Scotia. Halifax, Newfoundland. Oh, Halifax. I was I was working uh, at a fish and chips shop at the CNE, and I I heard you guys playing. The, the call. I was cutting up fish <laughs> at the CNE, and uh, you guys opened up for the cult. Yeah. And in your book, you said that like nobody really paid attention. I was at a record store the next day, and I saw people at looking for Appetite for Destruction. The next day. Yeah. The yeah. next day, it was really like. You guys just came out. I, I don't know. Maybe it was just me and circumstances that I was in. But for me, my idea of Guns N' Roses is like you just guys came out with a like like a bang, like literally overnight. I saw a little square. There was a you were on the cover of Hit Parader with three other bands, and it was kind of like the future of rock and roll. 
And the other what were the other two bands? <laughs> I think one of them was Striper. Oh, the future, right there. That was the future. And then it was like you guys, and then you guys just kept those guys, those bands, kind of, you know. Yeah, it's funny that went whole, and you guys just the whole hit parader and, and thing was a real strange. That was and like, Rip magazine too. Yeah, Rip was a little cooler. Like it they was, came out yeah. a couple of years later, but. Hip Parader was... I mean, it was cool to be in Hip Parader. But, uh, like, as a punk dude, were you, like... That's what I want to know. Is like, how are you bridging these two worlds? Especially at, at the time it was, was, you know, 85 to 87. How are you bridging that in your head? To me, really, I mean, I, I, I think I've, I've said it before and enough times. I just... Um, like, sometime in 83, like, the punk rock that I knew was gone. It was just, it was gone. And it, I was mourning that, like that fun and that inventiveness. And it was all just kind of punk by numbers, hardcore, you know. What and, and the kids coming in from the suburbs and shaving their heads and fighting, mm-hmm. you know. And they're, you know, putting the, the, the Nazi hand up. And I'm like, this... Not you, my scene. This, well, that's an easy scene to get out of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was, I'm, I'm done with that. You know, I would go still go see my band, like... But uh, anything that was associated closely, uh, uh, remotely associated with hardcore, hardcore 81 was different. That was yeah, in 81. Yeah, yeah. But by 83, it was just a, so they, these kids would come to the shows and all up and down the West Coast. And it just, it's, for me, ruined it, you know? And uh, um, I, I, so by 80, it wasn't like I was, I just knew there was a, there was a sea change, even like Ron Ray's in, in Hollywood with me in 84, he had this band called Crash Bang Crunch Pop, just weird, like, I want to be like Sweet and Hanoi Rocks, you know, or, and Prince, cool, that's, you can do it, you can do whatever you want, because we were just trying to invent something, everybody was, who was like, I guess around my age, was 19 or 20 been playing the bands for long you know five years is a long time when you're 19 yeah that's oh yeah quarter of your life you've been touring and doing stuff you're a veteran so whatever's next is on your shoulders and whatever that was and and then I just happened to you know meet Slash through an ad in the the paper and he was this dark weird dude from from Hollywood and hung out at Starwood and seen Fear but he had long hair and played like a blues guy this is fucking cool, you know? And um, Izzy moved in across the street from me, and he's this guy from Indiana, and punk rock, he played in the Naughty Women, played drums for yeah. the Naughty Women. You know, Hunk, he was down at the, what's that, Pat Brown, what's that club down there? Huntington in, Beach. In Huntington Beach, uh, the... Uh, he was there the, the night of the, the riot, the thing happened. The Black Flag riot? Yes. Yeah, the, um, fuck, what riot is that? Oh, Pat Brown. Uh, you know what song I'm talking about. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the club, though. But, but he was there. Yeah. You know, so he hung yeah. out in that, and he was this cool, like, Keith Richards-looking dude, and things just really happened, and Axel was his buddy, and Axel was, he was the real deal. Yeah. More punk rock than anybody trying to be punk rock, because it was real. Yeah. And it was... Like a real marginal, like, that's what he needed to be, type thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that was him, and it like was danger incarnate kind of. Yeah, and it was you know more punk rock than punk, and it was more metal, I guess, than what I knew metal to be. It was just like kind of everything. And what were your friends like though? Like, because that's you know once again not to bring it back to me, but I remember like even when when my band started getting written up in like you know mainstream music magazines, like some of my friends that were like, "Fuck your band now." Fuck you guys. Was it like were you were you were like because Guns was like a punk band still, but like were there people back in Seattle like hating on it or was it all like like being like dude you guys no I think because we we kind of bridged that gap mm-hmm. uh, just perfectly because there was kind of one of everybody in the yeah. band nobody's we were nobody's trying to get mainstream yeah, press yeah, by any true. means and and the, the band was genuine mm-hmm. so when we played on that tour that cult tour mm-hmm. uh, and we came through Seattle we played the Paramount and uh I mean, everybody that was kind of anybody in Seattle, you know, the Soundgarden guys yeah. and the, the, the Green River you know, and guys and, and Andy Wood and everybody came to the gig because mm-hmm. we were like, I was one well, of you're them. you're like a hometown guy coming back. Yeah, I was one of them yeah. and they were all, you know, uh, 
Mother Love Bone was starting up and, and they wanted to be, I mean, Andy wanted to be the biggest rock queen, you know? So, and he was a malfunction. You yeah. Know? Uh, so, uh, I think it just kind of made, at the time it made sense. No, I didn't get shit, you know, like, one, like going to East Village or something in New York, you know, some skinhead dude. Yeah, fucks with Fuck you. Fuck you, yeah. rocker faggot. You know, like, uh, it was weird at that point being like, I'm, I'm bless just, you, bless <laughs> you, child. You know, not what you <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you're, are you like, dude? I saw all the bands you have written on your jacket. Like, I was there at those shows. Like, do, like, is it weird being like in that position where you're like, dude, I am. I paid all those fucking dues. We are not the same as these other bands that we're getting lumped in with. That's the thing. Like, guns kind of got lumped in. Yeah, they like, did. That's why I brought up of, the hit parader. Kind of, yeah. and you guys weren't that band. You weren't that band. You weren't like Striper or anything no. like that. It was one listen and you could easily tell. But we believed in ourselves so we didn't really even care about what anybody said about us. Uh, what magazine we ended up in. We were just doing our thing. We were in this little bubble doing our thing and uh, really probably ignorant to a lot of the stuff that was even being said or magazines we were in. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a collection at home of I didn't keep every magazine and collect it. it just My mom didn't that mind time. that. I would have. And it's also pre-Twitter where people like Wrote, wrote, be like, hey, did you read this terrible review about you? Yeah. Send. <laughs> right. Yeah. You'd be gone by the time that would come out. Yeah. It would come out in a paper. Or yeah. Yeah. Right? So uh, um, it was just a. Uh, you kind of had to be there, but I've never had a uh, real urge to explain myself, like to punkers mm-hmm. or to anybody, mm-hmm. even to this day. Like, um, it's. I mean, it's funny talking to you. You're like, dude. Fast packs and veins and like, yeah, you know, people do get, they get it. They, history does have a tendency to straighten things out. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And you see that now because you're seeing, you know, you're seeing like the, the children that grew up finding these records starting bands, you know, and you're seeing like that happens, you know, and it's part of the natural process of like being a Guns N' Roses fan being and someone being at a record store being like, you know, check out this farts record. This is the dude from GNR's band. And you're like, what the fuck? And then you go back and kind of follow the, you follow those threads. Mm-hmm. And I guess as, as pe- more and more people are doing that, you know, you get a better picture kind of emerging of, you know, like I, I, and I knew you were, you were a punk band as a fan, Guns N' Roses, because of the songs you were covering, like, you know, doing like fear songs or something yeah. like that. Like I knew it was like, there's a punk thing there, you know, Dead Boy songs or, or Rock from the Tomb songs as a case may be. Yeah. Is it a Rock from the Tomb song? Well, yeah, Ain't It Fun was originally a Rock from the Tomb song. Peter Lofner wrote it uh, before uh, before Dead Boy's cover. Yeah. Oh, wow. And stuff. And, Very cool. Yeah. And, uh, but, so, like, I knew that, but it's, like, then kind of, like, falling back, and then you realize, like, you know, you fall back the thread from the Beastie Boys, you know, and you're like, oh, they were in a hardcore band, too. And you fall back the, th- you're like, oh, I love Down by Law, the movie, and you're like, Jim Jarmusch was in a punk band, you know, and you find you kind of follow it back and you realize like this kind of cultural explosion that kind of continuously keeps happening, keeps drawing like Danko and myself. Like that's how we kind of know each other through punk rock, right? you know, and like, like him coming and singing with this hardcore band that uh, my band opened for years ago. That's the first time I met him and stuff, like being a fan of his band, obviously. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> you just kind of... You did a Black Flag cover. You did a Today yes. cover, a Minor no, Threat cover. I, I don't remember meeting you. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, no, but don't worry. I was, I was much fatter and much hair hair on my head and no beard back then. So, but like you do realize, like that's it was like a wave. And like, are you are you are you still shocked when you run into people and you're like, you know the farts, you know all these bands, or is it just something where you like, you're like, I know that that stuff. Like I don't. Are you aware of how big those bands are to like this underground scene? No. Yeah, it's so weird. Like it's and and, and you're not the, obviously the first person I've encountered that I've brought up their old band and just being like nerdy about it. But it's it's crazy. Like you go to Japan and you're I'm seeing the Veins record on the wall for five hundred dollars and stuff, and you're going to like you know and you just did you know that? No. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't even want to tell you about some of the prices that I've seen some of I know that Silly Color single, somebody, uh, Mike McCready, yeah. saw it for like 200 he, I think he bought it. Saw it for like 250 bucks. If I found that for 250 bucks, I would definitely pay for it. I think it's more like a $400 record. Didn't you now. already buy something for 200 bucks today? I bought, you know, Maybe? you know the uh, Australian X? Like not the... There was an Australian X? Yeah, they were like much more... No- actually, 
very U-Men, Seattle sound. Amrep ends up reissuing their record at one point, Infinity Reptile. But they were like 79 in here and just like really damaged that paid not the, not the Dutch, the X. Not, not the, the X. LAX. Not the LAX. Japanese X. Oh. oh, Japanese X. Whoa, someone just dropped some science on me. Who's <laughs> a Japanese X? Japan would do like five nights at the Tokyo Dome. Holy jeez. We got to we got to Japan. I remember the first time we like, there's a band called X here. There's a band called X in LA. You know, this this band X is huge. They do Tokyo Dome five nights. Tokyo Dome. Holy Jesus. Yeah. So there was the yeah, X Japan. Were they like a, a glammy band or a pop yeah. band or pop? Rock, I guess, yeah. but J J Rock, you know, J Rock, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird because like you go to Japan and like obviously you know there's huge scenes for every type of music there, and then you find out that import music only makes up twenty percent of the of the music market. It's like eighty yeah. percent domestic. Music yeah, you know uh, Marty Friedman, who used to be in Megadeth, he lives in Japan now. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah, uh, he was telling me, yeah, I gotta, I got, I, I gotta prepare, I gotta play Budokan next month. And he's all in that whole J-Rock scene, and uh, he's done 300 television show appearances, is wow. playing in it's bands. It's like, like in the band. Yeah, just doing music stuff. He lives in Tokyo now. There was a, the, a guy I met you know, when Loaded first went to Japan in 2001, and this guy, I got this invitation from this guy named Jay, and it was a band called, in a band called Lunacy. Never heard of him. And somebody said, oh, they're, they're huge in Japan. And this Jerry, I, I, I met him, and he had blonde hair, somebody, and he plays bass, and he had like, and somebody said, yeah, you're his like, idol thing, oh, and he, yeah. he, wear, he has a white bass, and the thing, and, and I met him, and, and uh, I ended, we ended up playing shows with Jay, <laughs> like his solo band was huge, huge, and he invited us to come, we played like an arena tour of Japan, it was awesome. Wow. But that was my first intro into real, like, that J-pop. J-pop. That's yeah. what it's called. J-pop, What was yeah. I calling it? J-rock? Well, I call it J-rock because they were more rock. X-Japan was more rock. Oh, okay. But I guess it was J-pop. J-pop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, that, that's crazy. Well, that must be surreal to, like, look out and be like, there's a dude who's doing, doing me. me. And, you know, it, like, I was really... Uh, so I was well, how old was I I was uh, like 36 or 35 yeah. I wasn't like I wasn't 60 yeah you know, you it know? Didn't feel like, it's not like Elvis and he's like talking to the crowd they were, you know we had an interpreter he's telling them about you now <laughs> you know and they're like so the word spread like you know and people would show up for us to play because it's a, like I'm a 35 year old Fucking Elvis, right? It's fine, you know? <laughs> uh, but it's pretty funny. Um, What's the weirdest place you've played? Like you've probably played everywhere now, right? No, like, not no. You ever did Russia or anything? Uh, or, no, really, I've never done. Yeah, VR didn't do Russia back in yeah. Just guns. We. Well, if your VR would have done it by now, no, or then. No, we, we played something called Eastern Europe. Yeah, you know when the wall first went down. So we played Prague. We were the first band to play Prague, and that was. Pretty heavy, I imagine. <laughs> really amazing. Yeah. And um, played in Hungary and played to, uh, in Germ like East Germany. Like, have you gone back to these places now and like yeah. loaded in VR? Yeah, but a ton of times. Do you yeah. see like you probably see like the change? But it must have been a shocking change being like the first rock band behind those places, and yeah. now going back and seeing like the rock scenes that's really developed. Like some of these places have bigger scenes than. You know, parts of East Germany have bigger scenes than parts of West Germany. Too. In, in Prague, in, interestingly enough, I've noticed uh, it's kind of reverting back to almost Soviet old school. Just in the last couple of mm -hmm. years, like mm -hmm. three years, it got really Western, and I've noticed there's like a little pullback right now. I imagine that that's sort of like as as you know, people that were raised with the old system get into positions of power, wanting to kind of maybe hold on to it for a little bit or something. Yeah. Like in those places, were were kids like Guns N' Roses fans, or were you playing mainly just like rock fans? Like they were just smuggling tapes, or like, yeah, they were smuggling uh, tapes. Yeah. Can, can I say that Axel brought us to these places in 2010? We opened up for Guns N' Roses in in uh, Romania in Russia. Russia? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, he brought us to to Moscow and St. Petersburg. How was it? It was pretty 
fucking wild. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of places where there were like bootleggers and they had all the. That's in England too. You see that the bootleggers in England. Too. Yeah, they were outside. There's a good. It's just that it was an arena, and then outside they had yeah. like GNR everything. When we got when we played yeah. Russia last time, our the Hats, after party got raided. Uh, t-shirts, everything. Yeah, the party we had it got raided by the cops, and they watched us sleep all night, and it was terrifying. I'm never going back. <laughs> To Russia. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. They raided this party we were in. Not a party by anyone's definition. I'm sure back in the day, Guns N' Roses would be very ashamed of us to even call it a party. It was right. very mild. Uh, but the police showed up, and there, our friends who were Russian were like, we're just not going to let them in. And eventually, they let them in, and uh, they let the Russian kids go. They took the promoters to jail for the night, vice Russia. <laughs> and then, and then uh, they're like, as they're leaving, they're like, the police are going to stay and watch you sleep. And everyone else in the band drinks, and I don't drink at all, so I'm wide awake, just listening to this police officer's radio go off in the room, and everyone else in the band is kind of passed out at this point. What, like at, at the club? No, this is like across the street in an apartment that they had rented us for that night, like a hotel apartment type mm-hmm. thing. And the police officer came in there and stayed with us all night. What What was the reasoning behind that? They had eventually kind of found out that this apartment had been used like two or three years ago to make porno movies. <laughs> and had been raided back then and someone filed a noise complaint against us and the police I guess were like the more porno porn. people are back and more came, porn. <laughs> came running back full force and then say what? yeah fucked, fucked up? what? what are you band doing? you're fucking in here? so right so yeah Russia yeah you should go though it's really fun <laughs> yeah I will go eventually I'm sure yeah um, I was a little, I was a little dis- I was a little disappointed when we did all these GNR dates with Axel mm-hmm. And then when they were all done, I heard the news that you went on stage and you played Tommy's bass and yeah, and you got up on stage and you played a song in with London. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And how how was that? How was that whole? It was cool. I mean, it was totally unexpected. I um, I was in London on not even music business. I was there. Yeah. I went there on business and and uh, uh, the hotel I always usually stay at there. The the manager. The hotel, I was with my wife and, and he was taking us up to our room. I'm like, this is full service. Yeah. And, he, and he asked, you're playing tonight? And uh, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not playing. You're not playing tonight? <laughs> no. And it turns out that, uh, yeah, the guys in the, were staying in the hotel and Axel's room was right next to mine. And then wow. the manager started freaking out. And it was, I just took that as a sign. It was time. And I just went and knocked on the door and we hung out and talked and had a good time. That's and, awesome. Uh, but I was really, I was really out of it and jet lagged. I'd been flying. I, I wouldn't have gone to any other gig. I almost didn't go. I was just tired. And I drank some Red Bull and um, we went down to the gig together, Axel and I, and, and uh, got to play a couple songs. And, you know, I had my black bear on the side of the stage. And I came back to it, and the thing was just blowing up because that's how quickly news, yeah. that, especially well, news, Twitter. Like that's that. post Twitter, post Facebook, post. And in my, my email and my te- text were just going. And, uh, you know, you like that kind of a thing, um, you don't really. Like, you know what? You want it to be more private. Like, just us yeah. hanging out was probably cool. That's. Uh, but then it gets public, you know, by playing mm-hmm. a couple of rock songs. And it becomes something else. It became something else. Yeah. And, um, but it was, it was great. It was fine. Well, yeah. Speaking of reunions and controversial reunions of sorts, you've played with Ron from Flag. Uh, well, we, uh, st- I, kinda. I talked to Ron la- when I heard the news. I called yeah. him like two weeks ago. So, like, and, Dude, so what's... And you're oh, friends with talking, you're yeah, Ron Reyes the Black Flag from, from Black Flag. And yeah. you've also been with Des Kadena mm-hmm. in bands. Des was in Loaded. For, yeah, he was in Loaded. The original yeah. line. Des Kadena was in your He's like the original yeah. guitarist, right? I did not know that. Taz Bentley from Reverend Horton. He yeah, was a drummer. drummer. And uh, Des and uh, Michael from Plexi. Um, so that was the original, original. Yeah, the, the first kind of OG thing. lineup. So yeah. having been in both bands, are you going to... Go to flag both flag reunions. I'm gonna or have to. Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> I mean, I have no like, I'm like no allegiance. No, I like. Uh, you should I'm gonna it. go see Des. Yeah, and, and yeah, Des knows my girls. Yeah, Des knows my girls since Grace was born, and and uh, um, yeah, of course I'll go to the wrong one I too. Wish, of course, I wish you'd just do. Yeah, it's like it, well, you know, it's it's like yeah. Floyd. 
You know, it's like the two Pink Floyds touring. It's like we have two black flags now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the last thing you... Oh, okay. Ten minutes? Yes. Wow. Ten minutes we to talk. what? To showtime? Yes. Sorry? Yes. Ten minutes to showtime. Yes. We talked for a long time. Fucking hell. I gotta get ready? Yeah. I'm on stage in ten minutes. Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen oh. of... Danko Jones podcast. <laughs> we're we're going to have to wrap this up here. We're going to have to end The Rock. Hey, this has been amazing. And uh, I didn't even get to talk to you about the living, which there might be a reissue coming out of. I here. guess, yeah, yeah. It's been in works for... Forever. Like, forever. Forever. I think they went yeah, under for a while. Will there be a 10-minute warning reissue too, probably then? Is this going to be like, the beginning? Uh, of, all right, all right. This we'll is, end it now. Stoddy, this has been the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to like this podcast. You're going to want to listen to the shit out of this. It's going to be amazing. Thanks, Tom. All right. Yeah, thanks, cool. man. So much. Right. Thanks. Thanks.